This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Harvey, and we're going to talk about how he has built the compassion of warriors through warrior compassion and helps men engage with their intimacy and their true feelings. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how you can do just that and create the tactical content that delivers. Sean, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Man, I'm super excited about this because I think we really have a lot to unpack here with a lot of what you focus on. And I want to give the audience just a quick opportunity, and and this is going to be probably just skimming the surface of what you really help men with, but you really overall, you're the chief compassion officer and men's intimacy coach, intimacy coach, excuse me, at Warrior Compassion Men's Studio. You have a book, upcoming book coming out called Warrior Compassion. Overall, you focus on personal organizational societal transformation, really inspired by years of purpose, talent, and organizational development, combined with serving at all sorts of different faculties from Cornell, NYU, Baruch College, focused on leadership, management, organizational behavior, and change. You're a speaker, you're a writer, you're a consultant. You really focus on helping form a culture of transformation, masculinity, compassion within men. And you help men just really get in touch with their intimacy overall. And there's going to be so much to unpack there to really highlight what warrior compassion is. But I really want, I like starting off. What's just like a fun fact that we might not know about you. Yeah. You take all of that into account. And then there's the other part of me, which is I'm a rabbit educator and a bunny dad. So I actually, uh, I'm trained through animal care and control in New York City and now doing it in DC to help future rabbit house rabbit owners prepare for bringing a bunny rabbit home. And I've adopted or owned, fostered over 10 rabbits over the last 12 years. Interesting. And you're talking like actual, like fluffy bunny, bunny rabbit. No, I'm talking about bunny rabbits, like little fluffy bunny rabbits. It's often, you know, when I talk about compassion, it's often like, you know, when you think about a prey animal, like a rabbit or even a horse, your energy dictates their response. And so the calmer we become, the more active they become. So we have to learn to like respond to them as opposed to having them respond to us. So in that, I've learned a lot of compassion. And it's really interesting because that really feeds perfectly into your overall mission with Warrior Compassion, where you believe like a deeper level of healing and transformation work for men is critical for us to build compassionate bridges across gender, reframe leadership models, shift power dynamics, reimagine systems and structures that really transform cultures and the world itself. I mean, that's an overview, but realistically, you're focusing on building that compassion among men. And I assume this really ties into intimacy, love, connection, relationships, leadership, so many faucets of that. Just give us a, like a good rundown of like how you define a warrior's compassion. Yeah, you know, well, 
when I did my TED talk, it was called Compassion Makes the Warrior. And I was writing my book at Georgetown. We're talking about the title. And they're like, yeah, we don't like Compassion Makes the Warrior. It's too many words. And we landed on warrior compassion as opposed to compassion and warrior. And I had to sit with it for a second, but it really got that when we talk about compassionate warriors, we're talking about an identity that we're asking men to claim. And I think right now we're at a point in time where there's so many people asking men to claim some sort of identity. And the reality, what I'm talking about is helping men just discover the truth of who they are and live into their own identity, not that someone else is placed upon them. And within that warrior compassion is that energy of courage that we can look within ourselves to find the truth of who we are. And actually, I think when we talk about intimacy, the most basic way I talk about intimacy is it first begins with ourselves. And can we have the courage to look at through all the wounds and all the hurt and all the pain and the ways that we have brought up the defenses and the masks to protect ourselves as men, when we can let all that go and we can look within ourselves courageously and honestly, it's that energy of warrior compassion, that fierce compassion that allows us to go within ourselves to start to liberate ourselves into our truth. And you said something really interesting to me, given what my background is, law enforcement, military, even the corporate side of things where you're wearing a suit. It's like those professions become an identity, right? You put the uniform on, you become the soldier, or you put the uniform on, you become the police officer. But you're talking about something that helps a man identify who he is authentically outside of that identity that gets placed on us. Do you talk a, a little bit about that? dichotomy shift of like, you aren't what you do type of aspect of things where you don't lose your identity. Like for me, when I got kicked out of the military, medical stuff, it's like, you get that ripped from you, but like, that was your identity. That's all, you know, is that part of the transformational work you do with men? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was at the Naval Academy last night in Annapolis at a swim meet. I'm so, so sorry. (laughs) They were playing army. So it was between army and Navy. Go army. We'll go with that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you're watching, I mean, basically all these swimmers and Speedos, like there is no armor. There is no, like, they're just out there, like doing their best. And I think that's what this is about. When, you know, the work I do with police, the work I do with military or corporate folks, you know, it can become very easy for us to get caught up in the titles and the roles and the image of the profession. And I see my job when I come in to talk about compassion or intimacy or love is to see the humanity within each man. And really, you know, I get a lot of unsolicited advice on how I need to talk to men about this. And and I appreciate it. But I think what the advice I get, the counsel I get is often what keeps us in the same place, which is they say, talk to men where they are, meet them where they are. And I often say, I think we're making a lot of assumptions about who men are. And I think we're lumping all men into one category and saying that men can only hear from one dimension. My sense is we can hear with, we can hear through our ears, we can hear from our heads, or we can hear from our hearts. I think there's a yearning from our hearts that a lot of men have that we're just not spoken to in that way. And we're not, we don't hold each other from that place of the heart. And I think a lot of times when we talk about compassion, we are over-intellectualizing compassion because a lot of us have only learned to over-intellectualize emotion. But when we have more of the opportunities to feel the emotions and feel and embody compassion, then we can actually bring a different level of self-love to ourselves and have a different level and depth of connection we have with others. So that's the type of work that I like to go to is I get out of the the definitions. I often move away from the, the conversations around masculinity, around redefining manhood, you know, not to disrespect the work that's being done. But the truth is, I think for a lot of us, 
as men, a lot of us are suffering. A lot of us, no matter what our conditioning tells us, we have to go it alone. And no matter what, we are, we're shouldering a lot of burdens and have a lot of stress and don't have a lot of outlets to be able to talk about it. And so to be able to just like acknowledge what's true for the experience of men versus talking about this construct that's outside of men, I think is actually pretty important. And then our relationship to what we can internalize and what we, the conditions we have and the tapes that we've run about how we're supposed to be. And I think this work is really about moving from the ways we think we should be to learning the truth of who we are and who we want. And that's really an interesting factor. You're talking about masculinity and and what comes to my mind is there's such a interesting perspective on men and expectations these days where I was raised by a Vietnam vet Navy guy. So I always have to give shit to the Navy guys. But he raised me like he's an old school dude, right? He, he taught me the guys walk on the you know street side of the sidewalk, open the door, so on and so forth. And then it almost gets painted like that chivalry aspect almost gets painted as like a alpha mindset that becomes like toxic, quote unquote, masculinity, where like being too much of a man. And it's almost like these days, like being a man it almost goes undefined in society. Like it's hard to really look at it and be like, what is being a man, quote unquote, right? Is there any definition you've been able to craft of like expectations or some sort of uh, description of like what makes a man these days? No. And I say that, you know, I want to take a step back. So, you know, my, my grandfather served directly under General Patton in World War II. My father was in Vietnam. Both were long held. One, my grandfather held steel for the big three and my father was long haul trucker for 43 years. And so I grew up with that mindset. I grew up with that energy. Just so you know, that my grandfather was Army and my father was Air Force. Well, Gramps got it right, at least. <laughs> <laughs> there, you go, there you go. There you go. I think, in terms of what it means to be a man, I don't think that's for us to say. I don't think it's for us to say this is what it means to be a man or this is the way to be a man. I don't think there is a way and I don't think there is one way. I think what we're experiencing right now is we're in transition as a society. I think there's a lot of things that are evolving. When we think about definitions of manhood, definitions of masculinity, the elevation of the feminine, gender rules and roles power dynamics shifting, race relations that are popping up, and just the ways we're tapping into our humanity. Someone described it as the world is feminizing and how do we support men to adapt to a feminizing world without emasculating? And I think that's part of what's at play right now. So I, I think it's less about saying what is the definition or what is the way and asking and really offering an invitation to what's the inquiry. For you to look at what's going on in the world to, for you to look at yourself and what feels true to you, and then for you to come up with your own definition of what does it mean for you to be the man you want to be versus that's why I said, no, I don't have one. I think that's what we've been trying to do for so long is say, this is the definition of a man. And I think there are so many different ways we could define ourselves as men. I think what's happening though, is we're breaking out of three or four different roles that we've been given that we could play. So we have a lot more options of how we can show up from the artist to the Renaissance to, you know, getting beyond just the provider. And also you look at all the conversations around different ways to be a father, the ways to be a dad and to raise more conscious and compassionate sons who are well-rounded and grounded. So I think we're in this place of serious transition. So I think we need to be asking more questions and having more answers. I love that you were, you put that context on it because I, I think it's something that I spoke at a men's retreat back in October or so, and it's such an interesting thing because one of the other speakers asked, like, how do you define being a man? And there's a lot of silence there. There's a lot of confusion there. There was a lot of my father 
so on and so forth. It, it's so interesting to start having that type of conversation, especially with a men's retreat where it's like so tight and intimate and you can just be in a different capacity than when there's female energy there. Nothing against the ladies out there, right? Not talking any smack, but like just like girls night or girls retreat, women's retreats. Let me not say girls, sorry. Women's retreats. There's a different capacity that women can connect when there aren't men present. And what it really boiled down to for me was like seeing these guys vibe in a different capacity where they could flow and there were tears shed over the weekend. And like, there was like true in touch with our own emotions attached to like how we were struggling in things and getting through things. And I mean, it really kind of almost brought back. There's a, a book, Man's Search for Meeting, Victor Frankel, who talks about being in a concentration camp during World War II. And there's so many aspects of that where it's almost like right after that, I went and read that book and I'm like, man, I, it's been on my list for so long. But it really just focused on like identifying like a purpose in life, feel positive about something that's like a passion and alignment toward being happy with what you do. Have you seen something along those lines where you help guys find that alignment through the authenticity and we start getting that clarity as you work with guys? We're getting goosebumps, <laughs> like legit. Unconsciously, I, sometimes, you know, you make decisions, you have no clue why you're making that decision, but you just know that's what you're supposed to do. So my, my second master's degree is in existential psychotherapy. So it's Victor Frankl's work. It's existentialism. It's the search of meaning, purpose, and connection. And so at the base, at the root of this work, you know, as someone who's studied existential psychotherapy and has been a seeker my entire life and always having the meaning of life conversations. I say this is really based on the four questions, the deeper questions beyond, you know, for everyone, you know, I ask the four questions of, for that alignment you're talking about, who am I? Why am I here? What am I here to do? And how do I love? And I think those four questions create a grounding. And then we can go into the purpose, the intimacy, the connection, the relationship. But it all stems from that first question around authenticity of who am I? And then to the purpose of why am I here and what am I here to do? I think it's just such a, a fascinating conversation to have because there's so much psychology that goes into it. There's so much mindset that goes into it. And the reality of it all is like, I guess it kind of goes into life itself. Nobody has this shit figured out realistically, right? It's a journey of life. Like you're talking about it. It's one of those that you're continually learning. You're trying to figure out that next point of clarity and I do want to highlight a lot of what you do with the Warrior Compassion Men's Studio, where you have retreats, you have adventures, you have coaching, masterclasses, all these amazing things. And I just want to go back to highlighting like the connectivity piece of it. You're obviously offering these retreats and these adventures. I mean, you have everything from like game nights to dinner parties, camping trips, hiking adventures, whitewater rafting trips. Like you have all these amazing things you're putting together because at the end of the day, the best way to craft, I'm, I'm imagining this intimacy and build relationships is by like actually doing it and putting yourself in a, in a place to be able to relate to people like that and build those deeper connections. You know, so I love you bringing that up because I, I think first one, let, let's clarify what we mean by, by intimacy. I think for a lot of guys, we confuse and conflate intimacy with sexual desire and chemistry, or that it's just about romantic relationships. And in reality, when you look at the suicide rates, the depression rates, the isolation rates, the loneliness rates, the addiction rates, the violence rates, the sexual violence rates, so much of it stems from wounding and it's so much of it stems from isolation alone and are seeking deeper connection. You know, for me on this journey, you know, it started out when I was in Barcelona, I had the resume that, you know, amazing companies, amazing experiences, 
And I was still struggling with sex and drugs because, and, and going to Barcelona alone. And I was, you know, part of it for me was, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to have a connection. I didn't know how to have a deep connection. And I'm, I was such a workaholic and was so much, I was so proud of my work and my accomplishments and my credentials and those letters after my name that I never really built or invested in my personal. And so I really got this message when I was there that as men, we've just not been socialized to socialize in healthy ways. And when I talk to so many men who are doing amazing things in the world, who are values-driven, socially conscious, want to create bigger impact in the world. And yet we get on these conversations around dating, sex, or relationships. And I'm watching Dr. Jekyll turning to Mr. Hyde. And there's so much in the sex, love, and intimacy space that we don't even see because it's in our shack. It's the stuff that's just deep down. And the way I describe it when I talk about it is like, you know, for so many of us, so many men, it's the intimacy that we yearn for. It's the love that we misunderstand. And it's the sex that we settle for. In this day and age, sex is easy. It's easy to find it. It's easy to get it. It's easy to validate it. But it's like someone described it as, see, I want to eat a filet mignon, but I'm settling for Lay's potato chips, right? And so the intimacy is the steak and it's the transactional nature of the ways that we are. And it's not for everyone, of course. This doesn't reflect everyone. But I think in a very objectifying, highly sexualized culture of instant, where there's really this focus now on instant gratification, we're able to meet our intimacy, our, our perceived feminist intimacy needs in a world of social media and, and apps. And it doesn't matter because I, I see people who are in long-term relationships or who are now open or poly or what have you. The definitions of monogamy are shifting. Definitions of relationships and connection are shifting. And yet what's consistent is that many of us are just yearning for a deeper connection. We just don't have the tools or the wherewithal, the access, or to know where to go to find others who want to have that connection. But what you said earlier, I want to just tap into one thing. When I was writing the book, the first thing, one of the things I noticed was one of the biggest fears men have is to be vulnerable in front of other men. So what I see as one of the anecdotes to the intimacy challenge, to the connection challenge is for men to create a different level of intimacy with each other in non, in, in platonic, non-sexual ways. So how do we create deeper connected friendships with other men with a deeper sense of intimacy, deeper sense of connection and honesty so that we can really support each other in new ways? And it happens here and there, but for it to be more of the norm than the exception. And it seems like that's, to your point of instant gratification, in today's world of, of dating, relationships, apps, the swipe right, swipe left culture of dating, that, that is what society is these days. Like, I can tell you the last time I like went somewhere to like go out to a bar, go out with friends, meet somebody that wasn't like app-based, right? My whole, as a millennial, my whole friend group. Is like, oh, I'm on this dating app doing, you know, swiping, finding my next date. And it's like that instant capability to find the next thing or the next best thing. And it's like this generation and younger and like the native digital generation where they grew up not going to house parties or bars or whatever we did growing up. Right. It's almost like that instant gratification is like ruining the understanding of what relationship building looks like, where it's like, okay, well, I don't need to put an effort in because I can just go swipe right and be ready for the next one. So the moment a bump happens, it's like, okay, I'm out. And you move on to the next thing. And it's like, not just men, I think that's on both sides, but can you speak on that aspect? Do you feel like that's like a toxic piece of culture in dating these days where we're just not getting the effort or putting forth the effort that like our parents that were married for 30, 40, 50 years put in right. to get to know somebody? Yeah, I was a college 
professor for about 10 years. I, uh, I'm 48 now. I became a college professor in 2028. And I remember social media was becoming bigger and bigger. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, this is going to impact communication skills. I'm also a gay man. And I remember when Grindr came out, which was the precursor to Tinder, right? And I was like, oh, there goes dating. <laughs> like, I just kind of knew that it was going to make dating transactional. And so I think what's happened is, you know, what I see is that these apps and social media and TikTok and, and Instagram, you know, we start getting these images. It's not just like, what is it supposed to be? What is it What does it mean to be a man? But now we have this whole idea of what does it mean to be an influencer? What does it mean to be like sexually appealing that can be more on the superficial side, right? And so inundated now by images that I think the word that comes to mind is we're dehumanizing ourselves or we're dehumanizing our partners. And to your point, we're, we're not in it for the long haul, you know, unless it's that, that one special person that's really keeping your attention. But I think there's so many rules around what that looks like in order to get that one person's attention. And in the process, people are losing hope, losing connection, or just saying, screw it. And just like settling again for the latest potato chips, because it's easier than going through and actually being patient and, and connecting on it. And I think setting your own boundaries of like, what is it that you want and expect for yourself and for someone else so that you're able to start drawing in and calling in the people at the level of vibration of the energetic resonance, the connection, it's really going to like, you know, tap into your heart and feed your soul. And that was where my next question was going to go in this society and, and knowing like technology. And this is something like the, the native analogs, the, my parents and older that even realistically, like I grew up at an age where I was like, and I still have a notebook. I like handwriting stuff, right? right? I'm not totally digital yet, but it's one of those, you know, in business, you can't fight that change. We are going digital. There is no like going back to analog. We are going digital. Is that something that in that dating and relational capacity, do we have to just embrace that digital age and then put those boundaries around it where we're protecting ourselves in a smart and compassionate way? Because I feel like there's no, like the tidal waves already hitting, right? We can't fight the app culture, unfortunately. So how do we actually go about building that deeper connection? Well, I think you're in it until you're not. I think you're in it. I think you're in it and you kind of flow with it until you're like, enough's enough. I need something different. And then you start looking for a deeper community. You start looking for other vehicles. So I think like surrounding the digital, then you're going to have more opportunities for that in-person connection. I think that deeper connection, you just kind of know when you're ready for something more meaningful, something more serious, or you you want to expect that in, in your friendships, you know? So be it a retreat, be it, you know, I'm finding more connection back to spiritual community for a lot of people. You know, as a minister myself, or an interfaith minister, seeing the the movement, not necessarily to religion, but to spirituality. And I'm also seeing a lot more focus on finding yourself through plant-based medicine and psychedelics, you know, and so those journeys that are bringing people into themselves. So I think the pandemic has also led us to a different place after these two years. And so I say, you know, if you're in a marriage or in a serious relationship, the pandemic really tested it to see if we were really there to last, or if you were on top of each other for that long in in a small space, especially as a New Yorker, you know, could you survive it? Could you thrive it? Or what did you realize that it just wasn't the right connection? Flip side of it, if you were single and you were living alone, you really got in touch with your aloneness, your loneliness and your isolation in a very different way. 
But in all of it, I think it really created that, going back to your point earlier, that reflection of meaning, reflection of purpose. What does all this mean? What do I mean in it? What's my purpose? And in the awareness that I'm spending more time with myself in the silence and the and what have you, is my purpose evolving because I'm taking a deeper look at myself. So I think there's, in all of it, there's looking within in a different way. I think you also have the mindfulness and the, the breath work and the embodiment move, the embodiment work. All these different modalities are bringing people into looking within, listening to embodied wisdom. And flip side of it is seeking out community that's going to be more more resonant for them. And I definitely want to shift a little bit away. I appreciate you framing all that. And I want to gear this towards the warrior more, and that's what you're really focused on. Obviously, it's all about the warrior compassion piece. And um, you even brought plant-based medicine, which in the veteran community is a huge movement right now where there's a, a ton of friends in my veteran space that are into the, what is the Hiawasa side of things, the psychedelics, not something I've ever experienced because it's one of those like terrifies. And this is what I see in the veteran space it terrifies what could be discovered. Right. And it's just like the people I, I lived alone during the pandemic. And it was one of the first times I've lived alone in, in, in a decade. Right. And we were faced with those skeletons of the closet. They started climbing out when you're sitting there in silence, it's not really silent. Right. And you're talking about compassion and the warrior's mindset towards compassion. Can you talk to us a little bit about that self-compassion grace with yourself? Is, right. is that a piece of, that self-love that gives us the aspect of understanding that we're really looking for? So I think the way you're hitting on is, is the essence of this. You know, when I look at why men don't do the work, and by the work, I mean, looking within, healing the, the wounds that are keeping them hostage. So warrior compassion is really that, it's that, the way I describe it is that fierce healing power from within that liberates us to walk from a place of deeper consciousness, compassion, and connection. But what does that actually mean? To look at ourselves with full honesty, we have to embrace our essence and our shadow, our gifts and our wounds. To look at the wounds, to look at the, the shadow, and to look at the ways we've harmed others and the, and the ways we've harmed ourselves, there can be a lot of shame and a lot of fear and a lot of anger. So to hold that with grace, to your point, that's the compassion. To hold ourselves from the place of, I see the good, I see the bad, I see the ugly of my own journey. And I can have the compassion and love for the bad and the ugly so that I can have humility in the good, right? And so I think that the ego wants to protect us. The ego wants us to survive. And I think the ego is often what's afraid to open up Endora's box. And we're often afraid of, I think it comes down to, what are we going to find? Can I live with the amount of sh the shame or the emotions that I have suppressed for so long that when I open it, will I be able to close it back up or will I lose control, right? And I think the other part of it is, if I open it up, can I close it back down? And the reality is, like I said earlier, we over often over-intellectualize it as opposed to feel it. And so to have the grounding to be able to feel the emotions, let them run through, run their course, and also have the support we need while we're doing it in community, so we're not doing it alone, with the trained professionals who can guide us for the stuff. And then what I often say is if it's hysterical, it's historical. So if we're having those like activated reactions of where it's deep rage, deep anger, or real grief and sadness, you know, we feel it, we work through it, but then also to have those around us that can support us so that we know that we're not going to lose control and lose it and lose ourselves. 
And that's why I like what you're doing a lot, where you're building this community and the full transparency and, and why I'm speaking very personal journey about this is I was that veteran, lost guys in Afghanistan. There's so much guilt, leader guilt that comes back from a lot of different aspects. And there's so many different aspects of PTSD that I didn't even recognize, right? And avoidance is one of the biggest things where they, they call it avoidance, but I see it as compartmentalization. Police, right. military, men were taught to like pack that shit away and you right. just don't unpack it. Nobody ever teaches you how to unpack it. Right. And what I recognized was like by not opening up, that armor started cracking and it started seeping out. And that's when the anger came out. That's when the rage would come out. And it was just a continual like duct tape that crack and trying to cover it, trying to cover it until like it literally just fell apart. And there was no saving it until I actually got the professional help. I got a therapist. I found that community of people. And I think that is a piece that we can't understate with what you're working on is like you're creating a community of men where we go through a lot of the same shit if we actually just talk about it. Right. right. And that's the best way to be relatable with it. I love every aspect of what you're doing. And I have to know as you're building all of this and you're creating this environment for men to share all of this, what, what's the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world by putting all of this together for us? I don't know. And I say that with all humility because I could give you what my ego wants to say. Right. And at the same time, I could give you the fact that I'm a minister who's on a spiritual journey that I'm really just like showing up for the unfolding of what this is. Somewhere, meaning somewhere in the middle between those two is like what I see as the need. I look at the systems around us are crumbling. You know, we have authoritarian regimes all over the world that are holding power and we have climate crisis. We have disasters all over the place. We may be going to war in a few, <laughs> somebody may be going to war in a few days, right? And so there's a lot that's just, the systems are crumbling, the systems are eroding. And I think in order to not rebuild the systems on outdated models that have been oppressive, but to really reimagine systems in a way that are going to elevate everyone or give everyone opportunity to be elevated and be seen and be heard, felt in society. And when you look when I work backwards as a systems thinker, I look at a lot of the a lot of this is a lot of what's in place right now are, are men who are wounded holding on for dear life to power and institutions that have been built on masculine mos- models that didn't have the space for the feminine, which if we translate that into empathy, compassion, care, and nurturing, so that we're thinking about and considering the suffering that can be created by the, the voids of our of the of the oversight, what's been overlooked in the systems and institutions we've created. So I look at it that by helping men, but by helping men heal, one, we're helping them liberate into you know, life they can't even imagine is possible. A level of freedom, a level of agility, they can navigate the world and what's thrown at them in a way that's going to be less, you know, that they're going to be able to handle it with more grace, more calm, and with, uh, without the, ang- the angst that often comes when you're not doing the work. You know, what you said earlier, you know, it also brought up for me, the emotions are there. You know, we say, oh, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to talk about emotions. It's like, well, in reality, they're there. So it's either... Do you want to manage them or do you want them to manage you? And I think for a lot of us, we're being managed and held hostage by our emotions and by the trauma, by the PTSD. And the reality is 
if it's not one thing, it's something else that's creating trauma for us. Even the ways we've been conditioned around what it means to be a man, if it's inauthentic to us, it's going to be traumatic for us. Someone was describing for me one of the first moments. And I remember one of the first moments that I was, I started to go into my own box, what it means to be a man. And it, I remember vividly, it was in the backyard. I was probably like five or six. And my dad was th- wanted to teach me how to throw a ball. And I couldn't throw a ball to save my life. And by the third time, I just saw a look of disgust and disappointment in his face. And I think for a lot of us, it's not the anger. It's not the rage that we can get from our fathers. It's the look of disappointment that can really like, just like constrict us down. And we're like, well, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I don't want to disappoint my dad. You know, whatever that is. I love it, man. And I think you just absolutely highlighted what that legacy is that you're leaving. I mean, you're helping men transform this mindset, get in touch with our emotions, focus that energy, because at the end of the day, energy is never going to stop moving, right? right? And if we can't focus that in a healthy and productive way, we're going to continually have, I mean, the statistics around veterans, right? 22 a day, because we can't get in touch with this side of what we're feeling because we're told not to, we're taught not to as men in society, especially as warriors in society, you're told not to. And I think the work you're doing is just instrumental in helping us unpack that so that we can actually be in alignment with what we truly want to be and truly want to do. I absolutely love everything we've unpacked, man. I think it's huge. I want to give the audience, those men out there listening, I want to give them the opportunity to connect with you, find out more about you. I know you have a couple of workshops that you've got going. That's a good entry point and masterclasses for guys. Can you give us a rundown on the best way to get a hold of you, find out more content from you and get overall yeah. connected with you? I think it's all on my website. You know, simple as it is, warriorcompassion.com. What you're going to find are, you're going to find out more about me, what I'm up to, you know, a couple of things, a couple of highlights. I want to start to create a regular conversation for men around men navigating relationships. Because in all that I've seen in men's work, this conversation around relationships, regardless of what it is, be it friendship, romantic, sexual, dating, long-term, monogamous, polyamorous, we just have a lot of questions and we don't have a lot of places to talk about it. Well, I'm also launching a studio. So in, in March, I'm going to launch my first, March 19th, my first men's intimacy studio. And it's, you know, eight weeks untethering love, sex, and intimacy. Because I think before we can get to what intimacy is, to that thing we yearn for, that deeper connection, we really have to tease out what's our relationship to sex, what's our relationship to intimacy. And, and all under, you know, the undercurrent of it is what's our relationship to love? Because ultimately what we're doing in the world is we're shifting from a society, cultures, systems, from fear-based control to love-based liberation. And the more we can tap into that energy of love, I mean, I think that's really the undercurrent of what's transitioning right now. And to understand what that is and understand that we're loving the truth of someone because we're loving the truth of who we are and we're getting beyond all the masks and the superficiality and the bullshit that's keeping us, us, us in this place of this faux intimacy, which is really creating a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, and a lot of heartbreak for a lot of people. I think that's huge, Sean. I appreciate everything you're putting out, man. Again, that's warriorcompassion.com. There's a ton of content on there from, like you said, the, the studio you're launching, masterclasses, retreats, the adventures, so much happening through everything you're putting out there, man. I really just want to say thank you for sharing that wisdom and then encourage the audience. We're going to come back this Friday for Tactical Friday and really unpack those action steps so we're, we can start building a little bit of that compassion for ourselves. Sean, I appreciate all your time and for being here today, my friend. All right. Thank you so much. It's been great. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.